0: Episode 79 on the 9-Point with a Dream Podcast. Welcome to 9 Point Started with a Dream Podcast. Our goal is to showcase the stories of the athletes and the community that supports them by being authentic about their journey. Here's your host, Jacoby Gillum. Yo, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jacoby Gillum. It's been a minute to that episode released, and I thought for 2020, the first episode we should release is this one right here, you know, Waking from the Dream with Dr. Kristen Van Heerden. And she's an accomplished swimmer from South Africa. She's now she's, um, a clinical psychologist for sports psychology. She works with um, Olympians and all these elite athletes and, and a current author of her book, um, Waking from the Dream. And this episode is powerful on so many, on so many levels because we go through things like mental health, we go to things about finding our worth, you know, outside of just what our sports and, and how we can really, you know, facilitate a, a dual dream know, what that looks like, and something that I wish I I knew earlier in my in my journey, you know, about you know what I do inside a uniform doesn't necessarily define me. It's a part of me, but it doesn't define who I am and what, and what my worth is. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you hope you gain value from it, and you know, share with an athlete you know, you know, share with any athlete because let them know that they're not alone. That the thought they may have, that whatever they may be thinking, whether they may feeling, that you know, it's, it's that you're not alone, that you can really, you know, you can you can make it through whatever you're going through. So I hope you enjoy and let's get to it. So the question that everyone that comes on is when you're younger as an athlete, what's one of your bigger goals you want to achieve?
1: It's an interesting question that when I was a young athlete and, you know, I often talk to people about this and say I was not one of those athletes that, you know, when I was younger dreamed of being an Olympic athlete. I think I just... If I'm honest, I loved swimming and I was super competitive. <laughs> so I swam because I really just loved it. And I was obviously relatively good at it, even, you know, from from junior level at school. And I just loved being in the water. And as I said, I, I'm super competitive in whatever I do. So it kind of suited me. And then, you know, just found my way within that. Then, of course, as I started to train hard, it was um, probably in... Just as I entered high school, so I was around 12, 12 and a half, I decided to stop doing other sports. So I used to do a little bit of gymnastics until I grew, I'm six foot tall, so I can't do gymnastics. I was way too tall to do it. I did a bit of basketball, played a bit of netball, a bit of high jump. But yeah, as I went into high school, I really chose swimming. That was the thing that I wanted to do and really became focused on that from, yeah, so around 12, 13 years of age. And then sort of made some some junior South African teams and progressed to some senior South African teams. So, yeah, my career kind of just, I suppose, it flowed from that. And it was really just something I say I loved and enjoyed competing in.
0: So, what's the kind of going on in that, how did you find swimming just by one day just being outside in the pool one day and just saying, I love this?
1: I'm actually I'm a Mismatic. And so, when I was younger, as a young kid, the doctor suggested to my mother that. She takes me swimming because swimming is pretty good for asthma. And actually a lot of swimmers that I know have, have asthma as well. And so she decided to take me to some swimming lessons. I have an older brother and he was also going at the same time. So I think it was convenient for her to take us both together. So yeah, that's really how I got into it. So probably from the age of around about three, I was sort of in the pool. And really, as I got in, I just remember absolutely loving yeah, you know, being in the water that was it. And it was something that kind of almost just came naturally, I suppose. And oh, we would spend in summer, I remember my, my brother and I and the neighborhood children, we would spend hours in the swimming pool, you know, swimming and playing games and, you know, running around like crazy. So, yeah, I was always in and around water. And then we would have sort of holidays that we would have family holidays. We'd go to the beach. And again, from there, just sort of love being in the water at the beach. So, yeah, it was just something, say, from little that it seemed to just have an affinity for.
0: Lucky, because I had asthma, too, and my doctor Mm just did run more. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: I can't run. I'm completely useless Mm -hmm. (laughs) at it. (laughs) He
0: he ran out of it, and I was like, okay, we're still going to run. That's cool, though. (laughs) So when you started kind of seeing, you know, you kind of went all in on the swimming, and you kind of at the age of like 12, and you started Mm -hmm. seeing success. At what point did you say, I want to take this to be the next level for me?
1: You know what? It was almost around about that age. to say, as I got into grade eight at high school, kind of the middle of grade eight, I say I had some decisions to make around various different sports. And I thought to myself at that point, you know what? I couldn't imagine myself, as I say, carrying on with gymnastics. I'd got, you know, sort of provincial colors for it and that. And same with nipple and high jump. But I thought to myself, you know, when I finish school, I can really see myself carrying on swimming. That was the one thing that I really loved. And so, yeah, as I say, really from, I'll say probably that middle of grade eight, it was a conscious decision that this was something that I really wanted to pursue. And then by the end of grade eight, I said I'd made my first uh, South African junior swimming team. And so I suppose I kind of got rewards almost straight away for that decision, which was great because I was like, okay, this is cool. I'm on the right path here. And sort of every year after that, you know, I was fortunate enough to make a team to travel, whether it was to Europe or the States or somewhere like that and compete and so getting those kind of rewards for your hard work really kind of motivated me to keep going and keep pursuing it.
0: So sometimes when we see like success at a young age, you know, it can you know, either, you know, give us all the confidence in the world or, or, you know, kind of backfire on us. So for you, what kind of kept you humble, you know, in a sense of, you know, you're achieving all these great things, but always saying there was, there's, there's more work to be done. I can always get better.
1: Yeah, I think there were a number of things. First of all, I think my family kept my feet on the ground, and I'm always incredibly grateful for that. You know, when I was at home, it was very much, you simply cursed them. We don't care what swimming team you're in. You know, you're part of the family, the things that you need to do here. So they, yeah, I say my family really did, you know, kind of keep my feet on the ground. And as much as I say that I, you know, made South African swimming teams, which I did, I was never traveling overseas and being the best in the world from straight away. And even in South Africa, you know, there were some competitors that were pretty close to me. So I think, you know, I had to, you know, maybe at school level, it's a little bit easier, but certainly as I went into sort of the higher levels, I know that I had to work quite hard to beat the girl that was in front of me. And then I said to make the teams and you go overseas and you realize, Oh, you know, I might be good in South Africa, but I'm not, you know, that great internationally. And I said because of my competitive nature, I think that also, just kept me pushing and kept me motivated to push further, really. And, yeah, as so I said, it was both of those things. I My family were instrumental in just helping keep me grounded. I also had lots of friends, I think, as well, that were non-summers or non-athletes. And I was actually saying to someone earlier today, in the best possible way, they didn't really care about <laughs> what I did, you know, as a swimmer. So it was really fantastic that you could go and just hang out with them and you know, not have to be cursed in the swimmer. You could just be yourself.
0: I love that I love that last line because you ever just be Christian yourself. I think a lot of time, you know, like we talked about like our last call that we have to caught up in our identity of being, you know, Colby the athlete, Kristen the athlete. So you're just saying you're just Christian.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sometimes, you know, people might not even know your name. They would just know you as a swimmer or you were the one at school always being called up onto stage, for example, you know, mm-hmm. in assemblies and that, you know, to get whatever prizes that might be. And, you know, as much as that was great, it, you're right, your identity can become wrapped up in that. And I think for all athletes, you need almost a soft place to land, this, you know, alternative world because the world of elite sport can actually be pretty harsh and tough. And you need this other world that you can just be yourself in. And I say your self-worth as well, you know, for me, and I'm sure we'll get onto this, you know, not drawing that only from my performance in the swimming pool, being able to see self-worth apart from that and, you know, hang out with friends that just liked you for you, not because you were doing well in the swimming pool.
0: That was something I I learned the hard way because I got hurt from ACL and and I was no longer the athlete. And I saw how the world kind of shifted for me a little bit, you know, I was no longer Know the guy of like, all right, he's just another dude, and I was like, oh, this is a different world. How'd I live this way? You know?
1: Absolutely, It's trying to figure that out. And again, I talk as if I had it all figured it out. I didn't. You know, there were certainly times where it was incredibly difficult when I didn't make a team or I didn't perform well. It's hard not to draw your self worth from that, and it's hard not to only see yourself as that. And I mean, actually, for me, it was just after school. I had qualified for the Commonwealth Games. And if Americans know what the Commonwealth Games are, but (laughs) all the Commonwealth countries are involved and it's quite a major event. And I'd qualified for it, but swimming South Africa have a standard where you have to make the qualifying time in the A-final at nationals. And I'd been sick in the week leading up to the, the nationals and I didn't make the time. And I remember being completely devastated that I hadn't made this Commonwealth Games team. And it was almost the sense at that point of, oh goodness, like almost who am I if I haven't made this team? And I say, I remember so clearly thinking, I know my family will still love me, but almost feeling a bit embarrassed that I had to go and tell my friends that this is what had happened. And yeah, I think from that moment, I started to realize that I couldn't only see myself as Kirsten, the Summer. you know, I had to also really make sure that I was seeing myself as someone else. And as much as through my schooling, my, you know, my family and my friends had given me that grounding. It's so easy as an athlete to get sucked into you know, this one identity and the performance of this one identity because you spend so much time doing it and it's because it's so public as well, you know, it's sports, such a public performance.
0: Hmm. And we're always, we want to kind of share our goals sometimes. We want to share our dream and say, I want to be on the greatest stage. And then when you don't achieve it, the world's like, yeah. yo, you failed. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And it's really hard not to think of that as a complete failure. You're right. Because that's really what we get taught. You know, it's a success or failure, really. And I think for a lot of athletes, that's how they see it. And it, it is hard to say when you're competitive and it's something you love to do, to really make peace with those things. And as I said, to, to see that your self worth is not attached to your performance. So you can be disappointed that maybe you didn't perform, or as you say, through injury and whatever else, or didn't achieve this goal. But for me, it's a slightly different thing to almost feeling like you're not good enough as a person. And I say that's something that I say I started to really realize and feel very strongly about. And that led to some of the things I think that I'm doing now um, because I have such an interest in that. And it's so personal for me.
0: I love that. And that's the, when you said find peace, because I'm working on an article right now that's about, you know, finding peace with your athletic journey. Mm. You know, kind of for me, like, I dealt with a lot of always thinking – I was never happy because I was like, man, I left a lot on the table because I got injured. I, I, I left the team, all the other things. I was like, man, I was never happy like with how my journey went the way it should have went. So for you, with your journey, how did you find peace? Or were you always at peace with, with how your journey went as a swimmer?
1: Yeah, I think, as you say, it's hard. As much as we can talk about it now, and I'm sure you've kind of made peace with it now, and it sounds like an interesting article it's difficult during the time again, I say, because you're spending so much time in that role and spending so much effort and there's so much sacrifice involved. And I think for me, as I say, it was quite a pivotal moment that and sort of not making the team and really having to think through a little bit what I wanted from life and what I wanted for myself. And was kind of determined at that point that that was not going to be the most important thing in my life, you know, that it had to be super important and it wasn't, that I wasn't going to train hard or that I wasn't going to you know, put in all the work, but I realized I had to have also a slightly different way of thinking about myself. And yeah, that was really one of the ways, anyway, I made peace, but you know, for probably six or seven weeks or so after our national champs, I didn't really want to swim. I didn't really want to get in the water. I was like, Oh, you know, I didn't want to stop, but I wasn't really sure how to carry on either. And my coach was really great during the time. And, you know, he allowed me kind of just space to you know, gather myself again and, as I say, it was really, I think, during that time that I had to make some decisions and go, okay, Kirsten, you know, you love to do this and get back to doing it because you love to do it and you love to compete, but you can't make it, as I say, the be-all and end-all in terms of your self-worth. And you know what? I probably swam better after that than I did before in many ways. And I think there was much more of a sense of freedom afterwards. And sort of the consequences of not performing were not that you know my self-worth was on the line. The consequences were simply that I'd be disappointed. It's a slightly different pressure that and it's a little bit easier to perform under pressure when, you know, the consequences are not your self-worth. It was something I had to be mindful of all the time. And as I said, I think because athletes, you spend so much time in this role, you, it's so easy, as I said earlier to get sucked into it. So it was something, I wouldn't say it was a constant battle. It was more just something I've had to be constantly mindful of not to let that overwhelm everything else in my life, you know, and to keep a little bit of, I don't really like the word balance, but just a different way of thinking. I had to keep perspective. Maybe that's a better way of putting it.
0: So I know you work with a lot of athletes now. So from your own experience, what are some ways we can like start being more cognitive of like that perspective, like, like you're saying?
1: I think probably there are obviously a number of them and it's quite individual, but I think trying to help athletes see that they are more than an athlete. You know they're more than a summer. And I think for me during that time, I had started to realize I was really interested in psychology. You know, my mother was interested in psychology, my mother <laughs> my brother's a psychologist, my sister-in-law's a psychologist, <laughs> my, mother, my mother, studied psychology. So clearly it's in the family. But you know, I really became interested during that time. And so I knew that that's, you know, something I wanted to do with my life. And I suppose essentially I felt that I loved swimming and it was something I loved to do and compete, but I didn't feel like that that was really what I wanted to do with my life, if that makes sense. Whereas Mm -hmm. so many athletes I work with now, you ask them, like, what do you want to do? And it might be, I want to be an Olympic athlete, you know, or a springback rugby player or whatever it might be. And you say, yeah, this is not a long-term career. You have to be able to think about life afterwards as well, and so I often speak now of, you know, in sports psychology, there was this idea of dual career, you know, so while you're competing, doing something else, you're studying or something like that. But it's almost, for me, it's, it goes beyond that. It's almost like a, and it sounds a bit cliched, but like a dual dream. You can have the dream of sport, but you also have to have another dream because as you said, sport can end sometimes by your choice, sometimes not. But you're lucky if you get to 27, 28, and you're still in the professional world of sport. So, what is another dream that you have with your life? And something that can be almost even cooler than pro sport and more meaningful. And I think for me, helping athletes to see that there's another dream, and this other dream, it's never going to be the same as sport. That can be every bit as interesting and sometimes even more meaningful. And I know for myself, I find the work I do now way more meaningful than you know, swimming across the pool fast. (laughs) It was great to do that, but it wasn't particularly meaningful. You know, you're not going to necessarily change the world doing that. Whereas, say, the work I do now, I find it much more fulfilling.
0: That's cool. hearing that you got to have a dual dream.
1: I'm sure you find it with the athletes that you speak to as well. There's, like you say, what's the dream? And they give you the dream of sport. And it's quite sad because you think that dream, even if you reach that dream, that's great. Even if you become... Olympic athlete an Olympic champion or, you know, whatever it might be, it's going to end. And I say, most pro athletes, I think the stat is probably around 27, 28, you know, is the age that most professional athletes will retire. I know some sports you might play a little bit longer than others. So I get that. But you think, imagine a 27 to feel like that's it. it. And yeah, I mean, a little story as well. I think maybe this is also what motivated me and I want to try to get across to athletes. I remember once I had, um, I'd left school and I'd still been swimming for a couple of years after that. And my high school had asked me back to speak at their sports awards day. So I was the guest speaker there and I went back to the high school and I was speaking. And as they were reading out my CV, obviously at that point, I didn't have much on my CV other than I'd been to school and I'd been swimming. And I thought if they asked me back in like 20 years time, I would hate for the highlight of my CV to be that I was a South African swimmer. And at that point, it's like, I have to do something else. I have to make sure that I have something else worth them asking me back for, you know, something else in my life that I've done. And I said, it was just also this kind of penny drop moment for me to go, this is as much as I love something and I'm incredibly you know proud of what I've done and it was great. I didn't want to live on that for the rest of my life and I wanted to create something else that could contribute. And I said, if I got asked back, it wouldn't be because I was a swimmer. It was because of something else.
0: That's powerful. I chilled just now. just hearing that thought process. <laughs> of You know, it's like, you know, it's like the thing is like, like when we die, you know, what's your legacy? Are you going to just be?
1: Exactly. You
0: know, the swimmer, the athlete. is like, because like you're saying earlier, we're all more. We just, sometimes we don't, we don't really know that we are. We, yeah. because, we, because we get taught at a young age. I know for me, like, like I was taught, well, I wouldn't say taught, but it was kind of branded in me that like, Colby, if you're an athlete, you can go to college and get it paid for. You don't have to be the yeah. smartest to get there. You can just go there, you know, just for being exactly. athletic. Yeah. And so you think like, okay, how do not have to be the best student then? Because I'm a talented athlete. I can get in anywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And as you say, that's kind of what you told, like almost don't worry about school, you know, just focus on, you know, being a great athlete and again, like I just think to myself, what are we teaching young athletes that learning and you know knowledge is not really important as long as you can play athletics or you know or be a good whatever athlete? Then that's great. And so many athletes I work with as well think that they're not that smart. They're like, no, 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 I didn't do well at school. But that's ridiculous, you know. And I understand that you probably you know maybe wanted to be outside playing, but also as you say kind of get branded into athletes. Like that part of themselves is not particularly important, and no one you know, pays attention to it. As long as you keep doing well in the sports field, particularly for guys, I find that yeah. you know, particularly, you know, young male athletes, as you say, that's your way to college rather than saying, well, actually, you know, maybe you know, work hard and get some good marks. And <laughs> that's another way as well. Mm-hmm. So again, it comes back to, I suppose, what we were talking about earlier There's there's so many different aspects to a person. And you asked the question earlier, how do you help athletes? For me, it's just really trying to help them realize that there are these different parts and as I say, there's no balance in terms of time. Your time needs to get taken up with training and competing and doing the things you need to do. But you have to have balance or perspective in the way you think about yourself. And this is where you do need friends and family to help you keep some of that perspective.
0: I love this conversation because it's so needed. Because just how in South Africa, there's an athlete that needs this. There are in the United States and China, Australia that are dealing with this alone sometimes. And I hope that. Some athlete hearing your voice and hearing how you're helping other athletes with this is going to realize that they're not alone on this. Yeah,
1: oh for sure. And again, I so appreciate you asking me to be on this podcast and you know talking about this. And I know your interest because that's exactly it. I think we can be left to feel very alone in these things. You know, in South Africa, there are a few programs that are helping you know athletes through transition, but not very many. And I know most Olympic sport athletes, you really just left your own devices. And you know, a couple of athletes that I work with and some of even of my own friends. i never forget the one swimmer that I used to work with. I mean, she was a world record holder in one of the short course events. And she said, Kirsten, when I retired from swimming, like no one even got hold of me just to say, hey, you know, thank you for giving up half your life for this. And she said, I didn't care, even if it was just like this automated message that got sent to you. (laughs) So at least someone needed to have thought about it and sent it. But there's just this feeling of being cut off from your community. And I said, I know exactly what you felt like. I remember the first time I went back to, the swimming pool where I trained here in Durban. I mean, I spent goodness six hours a day in the swimming pool. And after I'd retired and I went back, they asked me to pay to get in. <laughs> oh. I remember thinking to myself, "You've got to be kidding me!" You know, I spent how many years of my life in this pool, and now you're asking me to pay whatever it was—fifteen rand—to get in. And I remember just feeling like I'm outside. You know, I'm no longer on the inside; I'm on the outside now of the swimming community. And luckily, I said other stuff in my life, but. If you don't, it's an incredibly lonely place to be.
0: And like your book title, like is it waking from a dream?
1: Yeah, exactly that. It is waking from the dream, and I mean this is also where i say my my dear for the book was. So I, I, you know, when I went to university, as I said, I was really interested in psychology, and I'm a clinical psychologist because I was really interested in as well in sort of what goes wrong, you know, kind of the psychopathology and things that happen with the mind, then it kind of combined almost with the opposite end of the spectrum in some respects in terms of high performance and, you know, mental skills for high performance. And so, you know, through that, through my training and my career, so I became really interested in this issue of identity and athletes. And so I ended up doing sort of my master's and my PhD in the area. And I really didn't want my PhD just to be a dusty piece of research on a university shelf somewhere, as I think sometimes can happen. So I thought, well, you know, how do I kind of get this out? Because my research was showing that majority of elite athletes were, we call it identity foreclosure. In other words, they just their identity narrowed down onto this one thing that they were doing. As you spoke about earlier, self-worth and everything drawn from this. I was like, well, what happens then when this identity is threatened? And then I thought with well, I thought, well, the, the one sure thing for athletes is that you are going to stop, you are going to retire. And even if you continue, like for myself, I still swim, but just for fun, I don't know competing anymore. So even if you still continue in the sport in some way, it's not going to be at the same level. So there's a definite threat to retirement, to identity is retirement. So I thought, well, actually, for me, I think people like stories and we kind of learn best through stories. And so decided to kind of collect a number of retirement stories from some athletes from South, in South Africa. And really just, not that I wasn't interested in their career, we spoke a little bit about that, but really that idea of you know how did you decide to retire and what happened during this transition and what would you have done differently? And so interestingly, so many of them said, Kirsten, this is really great and we need to talk about this. But if I'm honest, when I was 19 or 20, I didn't think I would have listened to you. I said, no, I know. And that's the problem. Like, you know, (laughs) to tell a 19-year-old to think about life after sport, they're like, well, yeah, whatever. But we still need to start these conversations. And I think for me that's where, like, a cultural shift in sport needs to come is that these conversations have to be spoken about. You know, at high school already, that these dual dreams that we spoke of, that needs to be something that is instilled in athletes from a young age. Otherwise, you're right. They're just for sure you're not going to listen. Anyway, I to tell these stories and to try and, say, learn from athletes that have gone before us, which I know is what you're doing as well, which is great.
0: And I think it's because there's this phrase, life after sports, and that phrase alone is scary because I know for me, you think life, you think life after sports, it's almost like you're, you're done with being everything sports yeah. and everything athlete. And I, and I think if we maybe rephrase it to be like the next chapter, you know, or or like the next uniform or something, because say, you know, you go go from playing to being a football dad, you're still in the sports world. You're not on the field, you know? I think sometimes that phrase is scary.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, even using the word retirement, I know is is scary and we rather prefer transition or, as you say, kind of pivoting out. And I was actually speaking to some people the other day and saying that maybe a better way or so of thinking about it, as you're right, because it's not that you're just completely leaving sports, I don't know if you remember, like as a kid, if you ever had like a kaleidoscope, you know, those yeah. things you can look down. And I, th- I said, if you think about transition and change is more like this kaleidoscope where, you know, you look down at this, this beautiful pattern and picture. And as you shift and change it, so the picture and light and patterns kind of shift and change into something else. And it's equally as beautiful. It's just something slightly different. And as you say, if we can have this idea of that, this transition is not an end point and it's not something worse than the picture in your life does shift and change, but it's every bit as magical and beautiful as the other one. And it's something you say that we should really look forward to rather than something to be afraid of.
0: That, that's an interesting concept, though. Like, if I was 19 and I heard you talk to me at college, mm-hmm. would would I listen to you? <laughs>
1: exactly. Would you listen? And, and look, there might be some 19 year olds that do, but I know that there will be a lot that won't. But I still think, well, we still need to keep trying. and somewhere along the line again I think that we need to at 19 we need to speak but as I say for me it goes almost beyond that we need to be speaking to young athletes at school and I'm sure that you find this in some athletes you speak to I mean your experience yourself at, at high school my experience as well you know teachers talk to you as if you know again you're the athlete or you going to the Olympics or you're doing this or and so often you you hear parents oh my kid is going to be this Olympian you know they 14 years old, my goodness, who knows what they're going to be. But at school already, at kind of 13, 14, we're already kind of instilling in kids that this is the sports dream. And so I say, for me, it has to be by that age, we need to start speaking about some of these other things. So parents and teachers and coaches, like this is a great dream to have, but also, as you yourself said, but what about your schoolwork or what about other things that you're interested in? And, like, I go and speak at school and you ask these young athletes, you say, like, so, you know, what else are you interested in other than sport? And they'll often be like, well, you know, I enjoy hanging out with my friends and, you know, going to movies. You're like, that's not an interest. We all enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> what else do you enjoy? Yeah. Like, what do you, you know, are your mind to this? <laughs> so, And they just don't know. They're like, oh, I don't know. And you're like, okay, well, best we have some self-exploration here.
0: <laughs> also, I think it would be great, too, if if we had, like, more sports psychologists like you teach and helping athletes learn that their goals to get to the dream because i know a lot a lot of us just think the dream just comes by showing up i know i was because i went home like last like think it was last fall or something and i talked i talked to my high school and they were like freshmen and i was like what's your goal for next year and he was like i want to get offered to college i was like how do you get there he was like i don't know (laughs) You
1: know, yeah.
0: Yeah. Like we have all these big dreams, but then we want not know how to get there, and then we we're in limbo and when it all crashes we don't make it happen.
1: Absolutely. And I think as you're saying, it's not just about pitching up, and it's also not simply about working hard. Like we have to work hard, but there's some other things to it as well. And I mean, probably slightly off topic, but I remember another athlete a well, younger athlete the other day saying to me, you know, people always say, well, if you work hard, you know, you can achieve what you want. And she was like, that's rubbish. You know, she worked hard and she still didn't make this team. And that team I said, no, look, I know. And I think that's also sometimes a problem. Like you can work hard, but sports unpredictable. It's uncontrollable. Selectors are unpredictable. You know, so it's more about, and again, I know this sounds like a cliche, but we also have to help athletes focus more on what you're becoming through this process And I say, don't get me wrong. As I said earlier, I'm super competitive. I like to do well. I like to win. I like my athletes to do well. But there's no guarantee that if you work hard, you are definitely going to become this pro athlete or Olympic athlete. So there has to also be something else that makes it worth it to be able to do.
0: Definitely. It's a journey to do the sport
1: absolutely and as I said I know it's hard again especially as young athletes but even older athletes to really truly understand that and I think you know as we're speaking now we have the benefit of hindsight and they were saying you know 20 hindsight's 2020 so we can speak now having gone through it and I really do understand that when you're going through it it's a lot harder so and I don't know whether you've maybe found this yourself or people that you speak to but also a lot of athletes I remember the one athlete she she had gone to the Olympic Games and she said you know it's great. She said, don't be wrong. It is. It's fantastic. But she said, Kirsten, it's just like another meeting. You know, you think it's going to be this incredible mind blowing thing and change you, but it does. It's not necessarily you wake up the next day and it's just you. And probably one of my favorite quote sports quotes was, I read it about uh, Rafael Nadal, the tennis player. And a couple of years ago when he had won the French open, apparently a journalist had said to him, you know, so do you think you're a better person now after whatever it was, his fifth title, And he said, you know, he said, I said, I don't think I'm any better. Said It's good to win titles and it's important to win titles. But he said, I'm no better now than I was five hours ago. He said, you have to know who you are before the match and you have to know who you are after the match, that you're the same person. I think that's such a powerful thing because Mm -hmm. so many athletes also think by being an Olympian or being a world champion, I don't know, they're going to feel better about themselves or somehow it's going to change them dramatically. And it can be quite disappointing when you wake up the next day and it's just you now with this medal or whatever you've got. Mm. And so again, I'm trying to help athletes see that we speak about this the sense of worth, that you have to find a sense of worth within yourself apart from this, because even if you are, you know, do get that Olympic gold medal. And I say, don't get me wrong, it's wonderful and it can be a very cool experience and it's an awesome achievement, but you're still the same person fundamentally. And as I say, athletes, sometimes uh, they think, no, I'm going to be changed as a person because of these things. And then again, if it doesn't happen, feel so distraught that it didn't happen. And you have to help them again. As I said, see yourself as a person, not just an athlete.
0: Because like if the money comes or, or you get other of the cars or the lifestyle, you think that it may you 10 times better. Mm-hmm. I know I thought that way. I thought, you know, if I had a million dollar contract, if I had XYZ, <laughs> I, would, I would be so happy. And yet, exactly it never came <laughs> yeah. but but it's like but it realized you start thinking though that if you start letting these outside these outside things to let you determine your worth there sure so with you you got the book and then and then you're with sports agencies so what all so if someone asked you dr Kristen, what all do you do and how do you serve athletes what would you say
1: I always laugh when I get asked that question because it's quite difficult to answer. And <laughs> so there's quite a few things. I'll try not to to bore you with all this stuff. But <laughs> essentially, I help athletes. So I have my own private practice with the Newton Agency. It's a sports marketing and representation agency. So my business partner, Leroy Newton, he was um, a South African sprinter and runner. So world champion athlete. And he represents a number of athletes, mainly in track and field, but in some other sports as well. So my job, as I say, really, I suppose, is looking after some of the psychological health and well-being of athletes. Um, I work with the South African Cricketers Association, which is like the Cricketers Players Association. I know Americans don't really know cricket too well, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a big sport here in South Africa. And then also my players, which is the Rugby Players Association, working particularly in this area of dual career and uh, transition And sort of life, not just after sports or however you want to call it, but life apart from it as well. So it's of life skills, development, mental health awareness, another huge area of interest for me in elite athletes. And actually, that's something I forgot to say earlier is that, you know, my clinical training as a psychologist comes in handy working in sport because a lot of athletes, you know, suffer depression, anxiety, these kind of things. So as I said, recap you can see I waffle on when I get asked this question because <laughs> it's quite broad but in my own private practice as a Newton agency helping some of the athletes I also run a nonprofit organization called Girls Only Project which looks particularly at women in sport issues another issue close to my heart obviously being a woman in sport this idea of body confidence you know just the way that we speak about women in sport your media coverage of women in sport so ultimately it's quite varied. I really enjoy writing as well. So I write a number of different articles and with the Newton agency as well, develop some of the content. So it's difficult to put in one line, <laughs> but uh, it's all uh, in the uh, same uh, area. Hopefully that all makes sense.
0: <laughs> and and you're an author. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned that part too.
1: Yeah. I an author as well. So, which is great. And this book, you know, it was something I'd wanted to write for so long and then oh, I was a little bit nervous to start and then, yeah, people like just write it. So then I, you know, and it took a couple of years, but I was really pleased when it was done because it was, as I said, it was something that I had really wanted to do. And, you know, sometimes when you really want to do something and then you're nervous to start it. And then when you get going, like, okay, this is great. And of course, trying to work at the same time as writing it was, you know, sometimes a little bit of a, a struggle, but it's really great. And I certainly want to develop more content from that. Let me put it like that because I've also realized. That a lot of people don't like reading. <laughs> so, they're often waking from the dream. It's not a particularly thick book. And often the first response from athletes is like, oh, good, it's not very thick. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's great. <laughs> so, you can go and read it. You just need to read one chapter at a time. It's one story at a time. But, you know, digital content from that, you know, that's ultimately going into the future. Yeah. I
0: remember when I was on Instagram and I was, and I was just scrolling and I saw the title. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, ooh, what is this? I learned more about this.
1: So it's, yeah, as I said, waking from the dream, it's really, yeah, it's various different South African athletes. So I'm trying to think you might know. So Penny Haynes was a 14 times world record holder. She was the first woman ever to win double double gold at the Olympics in the turn of breaststroke. Um, she held the world record for a number of times. Some soccer players interviewed a uh, former singer. He was a very famous South African soccer player, Bafana Bafana player. Um, John Smith, Gary Teichman, they were a rugby Springbok rugby captains, John Smith won the, the World Cup. Um, Brian Mitchell, who was a, a boxer, also 14 times world champion boxer. Ezekiel Sepeng, who was a, a runner, also Olympic silver medalist. So, you know, a lot of Olympic and sort of world champion athletes and asking him about the stuff. And I'd seen this one quote, and this person said, you know, I was living the dream, but I forgot about the alarm clock. And I thought mm-hmm. that's such a great. And that's (laughs) where I was like, okay. And that's also where the idea of waking from the dream came from. It's like, this is so true. You're living this dream, but the alarm clock is there. It's waiting to go off. And then you're going to wake up into this life. And hopefully you don't wake up into some kind of horrible nightmare. Hopefully waking from the dream that your normal life is even better than your dream life. And I say that was really a mission of mine as well, is to prepare athletes so that to say life, when you're not competing in that level, it has to be as much of a dream but yeah as i say the line cup's there and unfortunately athletes want to ignore it <laughs> so i say i find yeah. my role saying we cannot ignore it yeah
0: i love it because cause like cause like like when nine point like of our biggest phrase is started with a dream you know even the podcast called started with the dream so when i saw that i was like that's a good point eventually yeah. you gotta you know, the dream you gotta wake up from the dream you know yeah so, a few more questions so you mentioned a lot about you know about mental health you know mm-hmm. and I feel like right now we're in a time where mental health is more of a conversation that people are willing to have now than they have in the past. So so how do we get it so where it's more talked about for athletes? Because I think athletes, we put on this pedestal and just like in our own world. And then we get, and sometimes when when we fall off, the world kind of just kind of ship us off and we're left alone in our own head. So how do we get more mental health and more awareness and more help for athletes around around the world with this
1: yeah, no, and it, again it's such a great question because as you're saying it's something that's so important but often ignored and i actually saw when was it yesterday or the day before that the nba has now signed off that every team i think has to have a mental health practitioner involved in the team i thought okay that's really that's mm-hmm. fantastic so i think firstly as you say we have to have almost some regulations around this that it's like a sports psychologist or someone like that or psychologist has to be part of these teams. But I do think as well it's having athletes and more and more, as you say, you have high-profile athletes come out and speak about their experiences. Unfortunately, it's a lot of athletes that have retired and then say, yeah, I know, I battled with this. We need athletes that are currently competing to speak out and say, hey, this is what I'm battling with. I know part of the problem is that they don't want to say anything in case there's contracts and sponsors Mm -hmm. and all the rest of it. But, you know, unless athletes are willing to actually speak up, it's difficult to say because there's still a stigma attached. And in South Africa, there's still a huge stigma. So number one, as you say, if you can have some regulations. Number two, if we can get athletes that are brave enough to actually speak out about these things. And then it is simply like education programs. Like I said, some of the work that I do here with, through soccer and my players, it's really interesting. The first time you go and talk with the cricket players or the rugby players, and you mention mental health. They were a little bit kind of taken aback. But as you start to speak a bit more, it's a topic that they're really interested in. And they're like, yeah, goodness, I never thought about that. Or or you say, you know, maybe one in four people, you know, suffer from some kind of mental health issue. And they're like, oh, no, it's so-and-so. I think, you know, I know that he had it or this is how I feel. And so I've been really positively surprised at their willingness to learn. It's just that no one has actually ever spoken to them about this. So. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think in 2019 that no one's actually come and spoken about mental health, even at school level, they don't really speak. And I was at a conference the other day, or so at a high school, speaking about mental health and asking just a couple of basic questions around, you know, do you know what depression is or anxiety or the difference between like bipolar disorder and just being moody? And, you know, people really weren't sure. And so, as I said, for me, it it requires, I suppose... Professionals like myself and others to really have greater education and awareness campaigns.
0: And just going on that too, like, like just thinking with the world of social media now that that so many these these younger kids are seeing these other athletes yeah. that are getting more exposed and, and they're getting depressed, thinking their worth is not good because that media site isn't showcasing them. Yeah, <laughs> it, and and it's like and we're just starting this cycle of just kids valuing their worth off of likes and views.
1: Oh, no, for sure. And say that creates, exactly, I had a a young athlete in my office the other day and was saying, oh, you know, she didn't get so many likes for this one post, but her friend did. And I was like, oh, my goodness, (laughs) this is now what what people are talking about. And, look, it's not going to go away. And I get that. Social media is here and used effectively. It can be an incredible tool. But as you say, it's their self-worth is getting wrapped up in that. Part of the other problem, as we know, with social media is that, again, your life i spoke about sport being public. Well, now your, your life is even more public on social media. Mm-hmm. And so any small little mistakes that are made or, you know, kind of for the world to see. And I do think it has created a lot of anxiety and other mental health issues as well. But as I said, and you said as well, it's really great to see more athletes speaking out. I mean, people like Michael Phelps, you know, most decorated Olympic athlete, you know, coming out and speaking about you know, his battle with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, we need athletes like that to say there's no shame in it. There's no there's no shame, and I think for athletes, it's this battle of can you be mentally tough but also suffer from some mental health problem. You know, and for me, mental toughness and mental health are two slightly different concepts, but they get mixed up together in an athlete's head, and then they don't really want to be seen as weak. They don't want to ask for help, and in all honesty, as well, sometimes coaches don't help. You know, they just want well, you to just toughen up you know, and like, that's not,
0: not yeah. And it's like, we're taught to be invincible until it's time to be human.
1: Exactly. Exactly that, you know, and as you say, like any sort of vulnerability is seen as weakness. And you're like, this is again, you know, what are we teaching athletes (laughs) and forget about sport. you know, whether you're in relationships or whatever, you have to learn to be vulnerable and show that side. And look, as I said, I know when you're out there competing, for sure, you have to, you know, you want to feel invincible, but, and again, it's just mm-hmm. helping athletes separate out that from, you know, their life as an athlete and then their life as a person, you know, and seeing them managing all of these different aspects and helping them manage that.
0: Kristen, we got to have like, just like a five hour talk one day and just like broadcast this. Cause I can talk to you about this all day. Cause yeah,
1: it, I <laughs> <could> too. <laughs> sure. that's
0: it, it, a, a conversation that needs to be had in more rooms, more locker rooms, more training table, whatever it may be, because there's so many athletes out there that are so in their heads, probably, and thinking, like, yeah. just like you said earlier, they're alone and that they're doing something wrong because they have these thoughts. And no.
1: Exactly. And I'm very happy to talk with you another couple of hours.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, I must just yeah. make this where we're just really just broadcasting out the identity kind of how to Away from the dream type stuff.
1: No, that's wonderful. No, thank you so much. And I, you know, as I said, I really appreciate that, and I'm very happy to be involved. And and I'll also, you know, obviously as I do some other stuff as well, I'll I'll be in touch with you and be able to, um, as I say we can work together on things because, as I say, uh, I think we uh, clearly both feel quite passionately about this. And as you said, if, if even if there's just a couple of athletes that do listen, it's absolutely worth it. Mm. And. My feeling is even if they're not listening, then somehow these messages sink in and we still have to be talking. It's not an excuse to say, well, people won't listen, so we're not going to speak. We have to be speaking.
0: Because one day when that moment happened, that makes them think back the conversation that you had in, in that gym one time.
1: Exactly. And they will remember. And again, as you say, not feel alone, not like they feel something wrong. They go, oh yeah, I remember. Actually, this is what they said. And then hopefully also seek the appropriate help from it. Yeah.
0: Definitely. So, Kristen. So, one last question for you. Where are you at, social media wise, website, anything kind of plug right now?
1: Yeah. So, on social media, as you've seen on Instagram, it's uh, Dr. Kirsten Van Heeren. That's my Instagram. On Twitter, it's at Kirst Van H, and then I have the website is it's Newton Ca. And on there, you'll see on the tab, there's a features tab with performance psychology and some of my writing and things are on there. I'll also actually be starting my own podcast series soon as well. So maybe I'll have to invite you to be on it. And I'll let you know when that's up and running. But yeah, so that's at the moment. And as I say, Newton Agency also has a a Twitter account, which is also Newton Agency, and the same thing with uh, Instagram as well.
0: Awesome. This conversation, like I'm pumping out for a Friday because it just like gives you any of the energy just knowing that. There's progress, there's progress being made you know that's cool yeah. to see yeah.
1: No, absolutely and it's no and as I said it's always so great to connect with people that are interested in the same area and as I say passionate about it and want to to do the work in it so as I say I really appreciate uh, you inviting me to be on your podcast and be a part of
0: the work you're doing definitely and likewise well I'll let you enjoy you said it's, it's what women's day in Women's
1: Day, yes. Women's
0: day. <laughs>
1: so it's well, it's almost over. It's almost five o'clock here, but <laughs> I'll enjoy the evening, the Women's Day evening, yes.
0: we will enjoy the evening, and I'll talk to you soon, my friend.
1: Thank you very much. Enjoy the day. Cheers to Colby. Bye-bye. <laughs>
0: Yo, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nine Point Started with a Dream podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please comment, share, leave a review. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can find more athlete-driven content at ninepoint.com. Till the next episode, you're only one. Opportunity away. Peace.